Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. Our new season is going to explore the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and eventually was shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. The case gained nationwide attention when video of Arbery's killing came to light in May of 2020, more than two months after the shooting, as the country was grappling with the officer-involved killings of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. With the trial of the McMichaels and Bryan scheduled to begin imminently, we are going to lay the groundwork for the facts and arguments that will be presented in the trial by examining the June 4, 2020 probable cause hearing before Glynn County Special Magistrate Judge Wallace E. Harrell. After Mr. Arbery's death, two district attorneys recused themselves from the case. One of those prosecutors, Brunswick District Attorney Jackie Johnson, who had worked with one of the defendants in the case, was subsequently indicted for obstruction of justice for telling police to make no arrests for the killing. The second of those prosecutors, Waycross Judicial Circuit DA George Barnhill, suggested that the McMichaels were perfectly, quote, within their rights to chase Arbery down, end quote, citing Georgia's citizen's arrest law as justification for Travis McMichael's killing of Mr. Arbery. Barnhill would recuse himself two months after his appointment when it was revealed that his son had also worked with one of the defendants. On April 13, 2020, having accepted Barnhill's recusal, the Georgia Attorney General's Office briefly appointed Liberty County DA Tom Durden to take over the Arbery case and then moved the case to the larger District Attorney's Office in Cobb County and, specifically, District Attorney Jesse Evans. And so it was Evans who presented the state's argument to Glynn County Magistrate Judge Wallace E. Harrell seeking to establish that there was sufficient probable cause to bring Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan to trial. We'll hear Judge Harrell open the hearing right after the break. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The uh, reason for the hearing, this is a preliminary hearing. It is not a trial of any of these defendants. The law requires that there be a preliminary hearing and that a determination be made of whether or not the case is sufficient, the felony case is sufficient to be heard by the Superior Court. If it is, it will be the case after the hearing, after hearing testimony, it will be determined whether or not it is sufficient to be bound over to the Superior Court. If it's not, the case will be dismissed. So that's what we're doing here today. It's not a trial. If the case is, if the case is all bound over to the Superior Court, that will be a trial later in the Superior Court. 
state of Georgia versus Travis James Van Michael being charged with felony murder and aggravated assault. Is the state ready to proceed? The state is ready, Your Honor. After the defense attorneys introduced themselves, Prosecutor Jesse Evans began to present the state's evidence for probable cause. We have come here today for the purpose of the probable cause hearing. Today, though we're acting as the special prosecution in the case, we're here essentially on the behalf of the citizens of Glenn County to talk about the fatal shooting of the February 23rd incident involving victim Ahmad Arbery, um, who was chased, hunted down, and ultimately executed. We believe the evidence will show based on what's about to be presented to the court. With that, Judge, um, absent any other remarks from any other counsel at this point, we call Richard Dial from the Georgia Bureau of Investigations to the witness stand. Certainly. I'm Special Agent Richard Dial, R-I-C-H-A-R-D. Dial is D-I-A-L. I'm Assistant Special Agent in charge with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation assigned to the Kingsland Field Office, which covers Glenn County. Have you been tasked with being the lead investigator on the investigation involving the fatal shooting of Ahmad Arbery from February of 2020. Yes, sir. I'm the case agent. I want to ask you some questions about when you got involved in the investigation. Yes, sir. First of all, was the GBI asked to be involved with this case at the outset, or did that come about later? No, sir. That came about later. Can you briefly articulate, for the benefit of the court and for our court reporter, um, how that is that you came to be involved in the investigation and why that was delayed somewhat? Um, certainly. On, um, this case was originally investigated by the Glenn County Police Department. Um, subsequent to that, the district attorneys recused themselves uh, for this circuit. A, uh, another district attorney was assigned, then that district attorney recused himself and it was assigned to a third district attorney. My agency on May 5th, 2020 contacted that district attorney um, offered our assistance. The district attorney was Tom Durden, and we offered our assistance. He uh, availed himself of our assistance and requested us to become involved in the investigation. And then on May 6, 2020, I was contacted and assigned the investigation. Briefly, I want to talk about the deceased victim in this case. Will you tell the court what his name was and a little bit about his background? Certainly. His name was Ahmad Aubrey. He was 25 years of age. He was a resident here in Brunswick, Georgia. He lived at 140 Boykin Ridge Drive at the time of his death with his mother. He was, um, and he was involved in athletics, liked to play games outside. He liked to run, uh, liked to play video games. As part of your investigation of this case, were you able to determine the approximate distance from Ahmad Arbery's home to the place where he was fatally shot on Satilla and Holmes? Um, well, yes. I actually took a driving measurement from um, his residence to where um, the house under construction was located, um, which is at play in this investigation, and that's located at 220 Satilla Drive, and it was approximately 1.8 miles. The scene of the shooting is a little further down the road, approximately two and a half miles would be my estimate. And um, you had already mentioned on your direct examination previously reference to a home that was under construction. Can you please explain to the courts the significance of that home and where it was located? Yes, that um, residence is at 220 Satilla Drive. It belonged to a gentleman by the name of Larry English. It was a home under construction. Um, I believe Greg McMichael in one of the interviews refers to it as a shell of a house. Um, he was in the process of constructing this home. As you go into Satilla Shores neighborhood, 
Um, you go down a short way and it's on the right. It's as you come in. This home is important in this investigation because um, the deceased victim in this investigation, Amada Aubrey, um, had been seen inside that home on security camera footage prior to the shooting incident. And on the day of the shooting incident, the neighbor had seen him inside of the home uh, that's under construction and had called 911 prior to the rest of the events taking place. Mr. Arbery's presence and his intentions while on the property of this house under construction at 220 Satilla Drive may be a critical element of this case for both the defense and the prosecution. Lawyers for all three defendants will rely heavily on a Georgia law that stated that, quote, a private person may arrest an offender if the offense is committed in his presence or within his immediate knowledge. If the offense is a felony and the offender is escaping or attempting to escape, a private person may arrest him upon reasonable and probable grounds of suspicion, end quote. According to one criminal law expert, this law dates back to the Civil War era and, quote, was basically a catching fleeing slave law, end quote. The Georgia legislature has repealed the law since Mr. Arbery's killing. The defense lawyers will argue that the McMichaels and Mr. Bryan pursued Mr. Arbery because they reasonably believed that Mr. Arbery was fleeing the unfinished house at 220 Satilla Drive, having entered the property with the intention of burglarizing it. The prosecution, on the other hand, will seek to show that the defendant's pursuit of Mr. Arbery was not based on a reasonable belief at all, but instead was rooted in social media rumors and racial prejudice and hatred. The first step in the prosecution's argument is to present all the available evidence that demonstrates that Mr. Arbery had no intention of burglarizing the under-construction home. Focusing now on that home, you said that the home was under construction. Was it secured or unsecured at the time of the shooting? Unsecured. And uh, when I say unsecured, describe for the court its its state. Um, it, the upper walls of the house and the windows were in the house. There are no interior walls. It's studs. This, we didn't have this from the security camera footage that shows the interior of the residence. There was no garage, or does not appear to be there was any garage doors on the house. Couldn't tell if it had a front door or not, but it's very obvious that individuals were able to walk through there without in, in being impeded in any way. In fact, have you found as part of your investigation other videos showing other people that walked through this unsecure residence at different times? Yes, sir. Um, besides Maud Aubrey, we have discovered video of at least two other groups of people that have been inside the residence um, with the interference construction. Okay. And um, to your knowledge, uh, was anything ever taken um, from this house based on the video footage that you've seen? No, I think um, there were some kids in the neighborhood, I believe, took a couple pieces of wood from the house, um, but uh, that was on video. But other than that, no. Um, there's nothing I saw in the video, <clears throat> nor that Mr. English has told us during interviews he can say was taken from the house. You had mentioned that Mr. Aubrey was an avid runner. Is that accurate? It is. In conversations with the homeowner of this house under construction, was there ever any discussion with him about water sources that might be there if somebody wanted to get a drink of water, um, say, during a run? I'm aware that the homeowner, Larry English, or, or through his attorney, has made statements concerning their speculation that um, there are water sources at the house and that could be a reason for Mr. Aubrey's 
entering the house. Um, that is not captured on video, but I'm aware of that statement that they have made. The next line of Prosecutor Evans' questioning anticipates the defense by Travis McMichael that he was acting in lawful self-defense according to the Georgia law, which states that, quote, a person is justified in threatening or using force against another when and to the extent that he or she reasonably believes that such threat or force is necessary to defend himself or herself or a third person against such other's imminent use of unlawful force. I want to ask you some more background information now about the defendants in this case. And we'll start with Travis McMichael. Um, Travis McMichael, were you able to determine what his age was? I was, yes. Travis McMichael, he um, is 34 years of age. He resided with his father, his mother, and his sister at 230 Satilla Drive in Brunswick, Georgia. And um, did he have some prior training in the Coast Guard? Yes. Um, he served in the Coast Guard as a boarding officer who's um, involved with the interdiction of vessels. Um, he had trained reference to that, and that's the position that he held. Prosecutor Evans' questions regarding Travis McMichael's Coast Guard training in advanced weapons and active interdiction imply that Travis would have been familiar with safety precautions in wielding a weapon, as well as with resolving a conflict with minimal necessary force. Evans appears to be suggesting that Travis ignored all of his basic training for engaging a civilian who may or may not be armed. Evans then moved on to ask Agent Dial about the background of Travis McMichael's father and co-defendant, Greg McMichael. Can you tell the court a little bit about the background of Greg McMichael, the father in this case? Yes, uh, Greg McMichael is, uh, was a retired, is a retired investigator with the Bunch of Judicial Circuit. He served in that position for a number of years. Prior to that, he served as an officer with the Glenn County Police Department. Um, he also served as an officer with the Brunswick Police Department and with the Department of Natural Resources for a short time. I want to ask you, um, was, was he an officer for some period of time with the same agency that was initially called upon to investigate the fatal shooting of Ahmaud Arbery? Yes, he was. He was an investigator for a number of years with the Brunswick Judicial Circuit and actually retired as an investigator from the Brunswick Judicial Circuit, which was one of the reasons for their recusal themselves from the case. As he did with Travis McMichael, Evans appears to be laying the groundwork for establishing that Greg McMichael had law enforcement training and knowledge, and therefore should have been aware that there were insufficient grounds to pursue and seek to detain Mr. Arbery. Having established the McMichael's special knowledge, Evans then asked Agent Dial to lay out the timeline of events on the day that Mr. Arbery was killed. Right, I now want to uh, direct your attention to specifically February the 23rd of 2020, um, the date that is the subject of your arrest warrant for the three defendants in this case. Were you able, looking at all of the evidence and speaking to all of the witnesses, to piece together a chronology of how Ahmad Arbery came to be a shot at Satilla Shores? Uh, yes, sir, I have. Would you briefly and succinctly articulate for the court um, what it is that you were able to piece together from your investigation in this case? Certainly. From the surveillance video across the street from the house that's under construction, you see Mr. Aubrey coming up to the house, going directly into the house. Um, from the interior video of the house, you see him just wandering around, again, not taking anything. It's just, he's just walking around, looking around inside the uh, under construction building. The neighbor across the street, uh, Mr. Albanez, he um, 
you can see him on the video coming forward and there are interviews with him. He saw Mr. Aubrey going in the house, so he calls 911. Um, at that point, um, the call is dispatched, and then during the call, it's actually logged as somebody's in the open construction site. So Mr. Aubrey sees him in there. You know, from the video, you can tell that Mr. Aubrey comes out of the residence um, and goes running down the street. Um, from the interviews conducted by Glen County PD, and you can actually see it on the video. Um, Mr. Greg McMichael was in his front yard. You, you don't see him, but you see he says he's in his front yard working on some cushions for his boat. When he sees Mr. Aubrey running down the street, um, during his interview with Glen County PD, he doesn't say, he says that he didn't know if Aubrey was chasing somebody or somebody was chasing him, but he recognized Aubrey from previous video he had seen from February 11th as somebody that was inside this house that's under construction. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Because Agent Dial's testimony often references visual evidence such as maps or video footage, we're going to periodically synopsize his narrative. Agent Dial's testimony next establishes that it was a Mr. Albanez, the neighbor residing across the street from the unfinished house under construction at 220 Satilla Drive, who placed a 911 call at approximately 1.08 p.m., telling the dispatcher that there was, quote, another man in the house under construction, end quote. When the dispatcher asked if he was breaking in, Albanez told her, quote, no, it's all open. He's running down the street, end quote. Albanez then added, quote, he's been caught on camera a bunch at night. It's kind of an ongoing thing. A black guy in a white t-shirt, end quote. Agent Dial further establishes that a couple of minutes later, Ahmaud Arbery jogged past the home of Greg and Travis McMichael. According to Greg McMichael's own statement, after seeing Mr. Arbery, he ran inside his house and told Travis, quote, the guy's running down the street, end quote. Greg McMichael then armed himself with his police-issued revolver, while Travis grabbed a shotgun. The two of them then climbed into Travis's pickup truck with Travis driving, and when they came out of their driveway, they turned immediately in the direction that Mr. Arbery was running. Prosecutor Evans then asks Agent Dial a question apparently aimed at establishing the defendant's state of mind at the time that they initiated their pursuit of Mr. Arbery. And that's what I want to be clear on. So my follow-up question to you is, when the defendants, uh, the McMichaels, armed themselves with this revolver and shotgun, did they make a 911 call before going after Mr. Arbery? No, sir, they did not. Prosecutor Evans then moves on to ask Agent Dial for details of the pursuit of Mr. Arbery. Per statements of the defendants and video that you reviewed, can you articulate for the court whether there was any time in which the McMichaels were able to catch up to the deceased victim in this case? 
Yes, according to both their statements, and we have video of them. They called up with Ahmad Aubrey as he was um, running. He actually runs down Satilla Drive. Satilla Drive takes a turn, but if you continue straight, it turns into Burford, which is uh, the street where Mr. Bryan uh, resides. They catch up to him. Um, according to Travis and Greg McMichaels, they're giving commands to Ahmad Aubrey to stop. Agent Dial, at this point, introduces defendant William Roddy Bryan's role in the pursuit. When this is going on, Mr. Bryan is outside of his residence and he has a, vid a surveillance video camera that captures this shooting down his driveway. So you see um, Travis McMichael's truck and Ahmaud Aubrey at the, in his driveway and according to um, Mr. Bryan's statement as well, he sees them trying to uh, pursue Ahmaud Aubrey. In the video, you actually see Ahmaud Aubrey trying to get away. He's running backwards. Agent Dial goes on to testify that Mr. Bryan watched Arbery and then the McMichaels in pursuit pass his house on Burford Road. Bryan then ran inside his house to get the keys to his own pickup truck and join the pursuit. Prosecutor Evans again makes a point of asking Agent Dial if, at any point during the pursuit, any 911 calls had been placed by either one of the McMichaels or by Mr. Bryan. Agent Dial responds, no, none. Agent Dial continues that Ahmad Arbery, who was unaware that Mr. Bryan had joined the pursuit, continued running down Burford Road, away from Satilla Drive, where the pursuit started. As the McMichaels sought to cut Mr. Arbery off, Mr. Arbery turned completely around to avoid the McMichaels. As Mr. Arbery sought to escape his pursuers and ran back in the direction from which he came, he saw Mr. Bryan's vehicle. Bryan has acknowledged in statements to the police that he then made several attempts to cut Mr. Arbery off. While Mr. Bryan was trying to cut Arbery off, Travis McMichael stopped his vehicle for a moment and told his father, Greg McMichael, to hop from the passenger seat into the pickup's open cargo bed. Greg McMichael climbed into the back cargo bed of the truck. Meanwhile, Travis observed that Mr. Bryan had joined the pursuit and Travis made the decision to continue to drive in his original direction and loop back around the local roads to cut off Mr. Arbery as Mr. Bryan pursued him. Meanwhile, Mr. Bryan became more aggressive trying to trap Mr. Arbery. Arbery evaded Bryan's bumper a couple of times before Bryan forced him to run down into a ditch that was parallel to the street they were on. Prompted by Prosecutor Evans, Agent Dial several times averse that Mr. Arbery's path of travel was being redirected by the actions of the three defendants and that Mr. Bryan was clearly doing everything in his power to help the McMichaels stop and detain Mr. Arbery. Evans then questions Agent Dial on the history of the video that came to national prominence two months after Mr. Arbery's death. At some point in time, I know that a video was started by Mr. Bryan. Is that accurate? That is, yes, sir. And he's confirmed as much, and we have copies of that video from his cell phone, correct? That, that's correct, yes, sir. Uh, there's been portions of that video that were played widely on television, but it, there's actually other portions to that video as well, correct? That is correct. On our next episode, we are going to continue our examination of this probable cause hearing with a look at the second half of Prosecutor Evans' questioning of Agent Dial. But before we conclude this episode, we're going to begin a multi-part discussion of the case with Georgetown law professor, MSNBC analyst, 
and one of the nation's most frequently consulted scholars on issues of race and criminal justice, Paul Butler. In this first installment, Paul and I discuss the general context of this preliminary hearing and Prosecutor Jesse Evans' approach to presenting Agent Dial's evidence. Paul Butler, thank you for joining us today. It's great to be here. Paul, would you tell us how you became aware of the killing of Ahmaud Arbery and how you've accumulated your knowledge of the case and of the way that the prosecution has built its case against the three defendants? It's sad, but there have been so many cases of unarmed Black people being shot by police or neighborhood vigilantes that I actually can't remember when I first learned of this case. It was one in a series of tragic cases that has received a lot of uh, media attention over the past few years. But of course, these cases with facts like this aren't anything new. I've kept abreast of the case mainly because of my work as a legal scholar who focuses on the intersection of race and the criminal legal system, and also my work on MSNBC as a legal analyst. And what was your assessment of the presentation of the facts by Prosecutor Jesse Evans and his one witness in the probable cause hearing, Agent Richard Dial? A couple of things that everyone should understand about probable cause hearings. First, they're not trials. They're simply an exercise to determine whether there's enough evidence for the prosecution to bring the case. And the standard is, as the name suggests, probable cause, which is a fairly low standard. It just means that there's a fair probability that the charges are correct. It's a very different standard than what's required for conviction at trial. That's proof beyond a reasonable doubt. The Supreme Court has never given a percentage for how sure jurors have to be before they convict. But a lot of lawyers would say it's way above 90%. Probable cause is, as the name implies, around 50%. And there's some Supreme Court cases that suggest it actually might be a little less. So. In a probable cause hearing, like the one in this case, the prosecution is trying to establish the minimum that's necessary to persuade the judge that the case should be brought. The defense has a different objective. Discovery is the process by which, during litigation, one side learns what the other side's evidence is. And it surprises people who aren't lawyers, but there's a lot of discovery in civil cases. But in criminal cases, the law doesn't actually require that one side disclose too much about its case to the other side until the trial actually happens or very shortly before the trial happens. And because discovery in criminal cases is so limited, often the defense uses a probable cause hearing and other preliminary hearings before the trial to try to learn as much as it can about what the government's evidence is. It's rare for a judge to find that there's not probable cause. And so typically defense attorneys don't expect that the case will be dismissed. But their real objective is to find out who the government's witnesses are going to be 
and what the government's evidence will be at trial. And the prosecution has this delicate dance of, on the one hand, trying to provide enough information so that the judge finds probable cause, and on the other hand, not giving up more of its evidence than it's required to under the law before the trial. And with that context, I think that both sides fulfilled their responsibilities. And so obviously probable cause was found. And so the prosecution made its threshold showing. And of course, we should note that the prosecutor who conducted the probable cause hearing is no longer with the district attorney's office. And so there'll be a different lawyer representing the government at the trial. Uh, But I think that prosecutor did an adequate job of defending the state's case in the way that that's required for the judge to find probable cause. And I think that the defense attorneys did their due diligence in trying to ascertain as much as they could about the evidence that will be presented at trial against their clients. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Join us on our next episode where we will continue our examination of this probable cause hearing and what it means to the overall case against the defendants in the killing of Ahmad Arbery. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. This episode was written by Art Montrostelli. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Tarico. Music was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmad Arbery. <laughs>